0: Now Christianity has its 13th apostle, a faithful witness to the love, mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. How about you? you be the 13th apostle?
1: Do not think that in that moment of indecision you were wasting your time. Be a bit of love there, where you are and you will amount to more than a whole army of God's cause. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the 13th Apostle, where we explore the good, beautiful, and true of the Catholic faith in its church. This is Tom Caffrey with my persevering and indomitable co-host, Dan <laughs> How are you doing, All right, Dan? Tom,
0: thank you. Persevering and indomitable. Thank now, you so much. You, How you take buddy? a
1: wild guess as to why I said that. You're saying that to me? Yeah. Well, it's just uh, you uh, why were talking.
0: am I guessing? Yeah, I
1: don't know. You're feeling under the weather. Yes, but
0: that's it.
1: See, You're right there. But uh,
0: yeah, I, I think I might, I might have some COVID working on me here, brother. Yeah, uh, we'll find out. We'll get through this because mm-hmm. I'm persevering and indomitable.
1: You are, to you. That's it. Not just tonight. Uh, so, all right. So uh, we're real interesting, uh, and it's, I'd say especially interesting topic uh, tonight. So, in uh, we have a two thousand year history. And uh, countless examples of, you know, with our tagline, the good, beautiful, and true. And we have those examples because of the relationship between people of the church and God. So it's especially true for those uh, who chose to become disciples of Jesus Christ and were inspired to witness that discipleship glorify God through their paintings, their music, think of box Mass, and their writing. And I'd say, you know, maybe no country has manifested more of those transcendentals than France, the uh, eldest daughter of the church, but a lady who seems to have abandoned that relationship with the divine. But thanks to good people at Ignatius Press, in particular Susan Nutt, we came upon a gem. I would definitely say that, Dan, a, a gem of a little book by another daughter of the church, Madeline de Brel, with her book of essays and poems. The Dazzling Light of God, a Madeleine Delbrel Reader. And uh, here to help us learn more about the author and her work is another one of those good people of Ignatius Press, Thomas Jacoby, Assistant Editor at Ignatius Press. Welcome, Thomas, to the 13th Apostle.
0: Tom and Dan, very happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh,
1: Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for being here. So, as I began reading this book, I found myself shaking my head at the uh, profound nature of Madeline's writings and how her, her complex life, and it's like somebody I think everybody's got a complex life because life is complex. As my theology mentor has said and used to say all the time, and I've carried on that tradition of it's complicated, and Madeline has a complicated life. Uh, so tell our audience a bit about Madeline. You wrote, co-wrote the uh, introduction, uh, like a brief biography of her and this book, with a couple other uh, of your colleagues. And uh, so tell us about her and why Ignatius Press wanted to publish uh, her work, especially so long after her death.
2: Well, I'll tell you a little bit about how I first encountered Madeline Delbrell. This was about 10 years ago. I'm, uh, I am was in my early 20s, actually. And I was just trying to, I was, i just come back to the church, you now, and I was trying to figure out what it meant to be Christian, and I kind of drifted for a while. Found things I was interested in, then suddenly found myself kind of lost in the weeds with a bunch of theology a bunch of controversy. Didn't know what's going on. And then somebody, by chance, a friend of mine, gave me an essay by this woman, Madeline delbrell who lived in the early twentieth century, first half of the twentieth century. We'll talk about that in a minute. But she, um, it was called uh, "We, the Ordinary People of the Streets." And it was just about a ten, maybe fifteen-page essay short lines it was like almost like lines of poem lines of poetry you know like one sentence to a line that'd be a paragraph break and by the end of those 15 pages i it's hard to explain but i the whole way that i looked at the world around me changed it was like a 180 there was like a total revolution in kind of my my vision my eyesight and i felt like i saw things with a new depth because what madeline Delbrell uh, so I'll tell you a bit about who she is. She was born in 1904. She died in 1964, 60 years old. So you look at that timeline. That's, she's in France, and she lives through World War I and World War II. She grew up in, uh, outside of Paris, nominally Catholic. So her dad, And her dad was kind of a – her dad was an intellectual. He kind of raised her, gave her a great sort of literary education. Her dad was an amateur poet, so he taught Madeline how to write. But uh, he lost his faith when Madeline was a little girl, and there were there was a lot of tension in the marriage. So Madeline, basically, after her first communion, they really never went back to mass. She lost her faith. By the time she was a teenager, total atheist, militant atheist, in fact. Uh, and she threw herself into poetry. That was like really her main outlet. She loved the dance too, but that's, that's something else that we'll talk about because um, it comes out in her writing. But she threw herself into poetry. And in fact, she wrote a poem that's excerpted in this book that we're talking about, "The Dazzling Light of God," which is a collection of short, short clips of her writings from all across her lifetime. Uh, she wrote a poem called uh, "God Is Dead." Long live death. Mm. I mean, is there more like? And she wrote really, when she was seventeen. Can you can you sound more seventeen years old than that? God is dead. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. I hate you, Dad. No, you ruined my life. But what's <laughs> yeah, interesting true. about Madeline Del Burrell. She uh, so she was an atheist, but she this poem is actually all about. Um, she's like okay, we know God is dead. Let's live as though that's true. Because she was very intellectually honest, you know. So it's like if we're gonna do, if we're gonna say we believe this thing let's stop doing this, you know, half-heartedly. Let's stop being lazy about this. Let's start act, acting like it's true. And she keeps saying that, you know, scientists keep acting like they've defeated death because of all these advances in medical science. She's like, you know, but you know what? They can't kill death. They can just kill certain causes of death and you die in other ways. And so she realizes, you know, this whole God is dead thing is actually, it's actually impossible to live as though that's true. And that's initially, and so she, by the time she's in her early 20s, She has this really radical conversion, happened over the course of a year or two, to Catholicism. Partly because she met a young man who eventually became, she was in love. She and this young man named John fell in love. He became a Dominican. She was heartbroken, didn't know what to do. And she realized, she saw this light in him, you know, and she saw this. This zest for life was something that she had kind of natural. She was a very energetic, joyful, sort of fun-loving person. And she had this excitement, this childlike sense of wonder. And She saw this in this young man. She's like, I love what this guy has. There's something so beautiful about him. They actually met dancing together. Um, he winds up entering the Dominicans, and she's, she realizes, like, well, well, I can't have him. And she was, she was crestfallen. I can't have him. How can I still live with that same zest, you know, now that he's gone? And she discovers that his secret was God. It was Jesus. And so she has this return to the faith. She meets a parish priest in her town. She'd actually moved to Paris by this point, big city of Paris. And she's, she meets a priest. She uh, gets involved in the European Scout Movement, which is a Catholic kind of outdoor organization for young people. She winds up studying. She kind of can't figure out what to do with her life. She studies social work. She starts thinking about being a, she actually studies nursing. She starts thinking about being a Carmelite. Uh, becoming a Carmelite nun, and she starts praying the gospel every single day. She, you know, she's throwing herself into her faith, and she's finding all this life, but she doesn't know what to do. Decides she doesn't want to become a Carmelite. She discerns that what God is actually calling her to stay in the world, and that is so crucial to everything you read by Madeleine del Bril, to grow where you're planted the place where god is that place where the site where god has placed you is the site of your holiness Not some that some place that you invent in your mind is far off because you feel like i had to do something really extreme to please god no she says she decides yeah. i'm going to stay here in france and i'm going to bring the gospel what i've discovered i'm going to bring this this treasure that i found i'm going to bring it to the poorest of the poor and who are the poorest of the poor for her like Mother Teresa, she knew it's not necessarily the people who are economically the poorest, but the people who have rejected God. Mm. So she decides, I'm going to move to a communist suburb <laughs>
1: called
2: yves And what's interesting is it, France wasn't communist-run, but this town was. You know, France, it's weird. They do not France is very centralized, but they also have these very strong local governments. And you've raised these communists, right. and by definition, communism is atheist. You know, it's their whole ideology. Right. It's— um you know, it's, it's a, it's a system without God, you know, class, class struggle without God. And, uh, it's all just kind of instinct and animal nature. And, uh, so she says, I'm going to go there and I'm just going to live the gospel for the rest of my life among these people. And she goes with a couple of friends, it's 1933, I think. And she does that. She goes and she lives the rest of her life mm-hmm. in the France and until she dies in 1960. And she spends the rest of her life Quietly, sometimes, mostly quietly, evangelizing these people through good works, through friendship, through her work as a social worker, where she would help orphans, she would help you know broken families, and and also just through her her charity, her goodness as a human being. Often, she not wasn't given that much opportunity to share the gospel explicitly. But she her sense was that people need to see that Christians are good before they can believe in the specific doctrines of our faith. You know, step mm-hmm. one. Christians are good, and she wrote extensively. She would stay up late at night writing uh, every single day. That was kind of her way of prayer, actually. That was her way of kind of grappling with what she was experiencing. She was just a, addicted to writing, so to speak. And she would stay up till two in the morning. And often her essays
0: kind of trail off uh, because she's <laughs> literally falling asleep at the desk. You know? Like, what is she saying?
2: Like, you realize, like, okay, well just. She was literally falling asleep. <laughs> mm. Anyway, but she, in the, she died in the 1960s. Um, was dearly beloved by the town of Ivry, uh, so definitely by her fellow. She was very respected by her fellow social workers. She was actually the chart, the head of the whole department of social services. Event um, after about ten years there, um, even though they knew she was Catholic, which is interesting. They were these rabid atheists, but they couldn't deny how strong and how how noble and uh, integrated and courageous she was, and how good and and. Uh, so she died in 1960. The whole town was at her funeral, and uh, since then, her writings have just she writes. She writes a lot of essays in this very short, condensed, very sharp style, uh, all about the experience of living ordinary lay Christian life, living the gospel in the everyday, in the nitty gritty of the everyday. And these these writings have spoken to. So many people across Europe, and they're finally making their way here to the U.S. And she's actually, in 2018, she was declared a venerable by the church, by the Vatican. So she's on her way to, she's on her way to being uh, blessed. She's on her way to being blessed, Madeline Delbro.
0: Mm, beautiful. My goodness.
1: Yeah.
0: She writes about the streets and neighborhoods, and it, it's very inspiring, Thomas, you know, to uh, us uh, suburbanites here. That we can get our best, work, yeah, we can get our best work done, you know, right here on our in our very own street, you know. Uh, but the the whole notion of uh, see the good first is what really invites people to open open their door. And She has a actually has a uh, a page here, the street. Uh, sight of our holiness and I, I want to let our audience know that this is about 140 pages this book and there may be 70 uh, texts you know separate texts so in this culture of blink and I and you're on the next thing uh, these are short but they're powerful my wife and I have really yeah. enjoyed enjoyed this book and I especially like the uh, the one on silence and and the one right next to it on uh, on poverty so uh, yeah yeah, it's 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 wonderful,
1: absolutely wonderful. Uh, go ahead, Tom. Dan and I were talking about uh, this beforehand, and I guess if you didn't read the back cover, it's a, it's really uncanny the the parallels between uh, DeBrell and Dorothy Day, and of course, then looking on the back cover, you see at least a couple of authors, uh, Larry Chap, who we also had on for uh, not that long ago for a couple of uh, episodes, and. Uh, it's just to look at her background to look at her broken heart, which Dorothy Day experienced, to look at her profound loneliness, which it's 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 written you know profound loneliness that she experienced after the breakup of her her one true love it seems uh the difference is that the breakup that Dorothy Day had was with a man who wanted nothing to do uh with the faith and and broke up with Dorothy, even though uh well, just just didn't want anything to do with the faith, so he took off. But yeah. then a special person, in Madeline's case, it's a it's a priest in Dorothy Day's. It's like a it's like a a park bench theologian who has a bright mind and Peter Morin, Uh It's it's so fascinating, and the experience with the communists. It just it's it, and it brings me to the, to the you you mentioned intellectual honesty. And it made me think of but the the atheism, the intellectual honesty, maybe think of Christopher Hitchens now, you know one one reason not to like Christopher Hitchens was because he he made a on one hand, he made a point about going around the country around the world uh, to try to bring down the faith, although i'm not so I'm not one hundred percent sure about that i i I really wondered whether he was also testing those who say they believe and have a faith in God that okay, can you really explain? why you can you really show me how you live this faith and he said that if there is a god and he's examined everything about the faith as much i mean he's he's a bright mind he was a bright mind and he said god wouldn't want me if i was a hypocrite if i said well i'm going to believe just for the sake of believing so i can get into heaven so God gave me this brain, so I'm going, to be, I'm going to use my intellectual curiosity, and this is where I am right now. And, of course, he never came to the faith. And then, the, like Dan was saying, in your neighborhood, doing, doing the work where you are, like she says, where you are, uh, it makes me think of, of Father Escriva, you know, with Opus Dei, and making holy and sacred what it is you're doing in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment uh, life. There is so much connectivity in our faith, it's overwhelming sometimes. And I, I saw it so many times in this book.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, she, uh, There's another short passage in this book where she talks about, she's talking about how to live obedience as an ordinary lay person you know well, what's what i love about her writing is that it's, it's really for it's often just for lay people like 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 us you mm. know people with families who just kind of who have maybe like maybe like 20 minutes a day to pray you know just mm-hmm. because super busy and she she's talking about how do we live obedience you know like we're not under a we're not under a superior we're not under a we're not directly under a bishop the way the priests are and how do you live it and she says that we lay people our obedience is to reality. It's the reality that God has made. God is the author of reality. We are obedient, we are obedient to God the Father, who is the one. She gives the example of a rattling bus window. I don't know how many of it, you take the, the bus to work, <laughs> but I have. And the uh, you know the rattling window, the screaming baby. You know, are you going to say yes? Are are you going to say yes to that? Laugh it off with a sense of humor. And say, "Yep, I accept this. This is what this is my life like." Or you're going to become bitter and angry, and start cursing, <laughs> cursing this reality to God's name. You know, mm. um, that's how we live obedience. You know, and she gives an example: the key gets stuck in the lock. <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> do we say yes? Do we see it as an invitation to, to rejoice with God? To make a little joke? You know, the, like, do like we accept? Do we laugh at God's joke? Mm-hmm. Or do we just do we just flip out and just start, you know just start cursing up a storm, um, you know, and just ruin the rest of our night and then be angry with our wife for no reason? the I love that because it shows us that the little details of our lives in suburbia, they matter mm-hmm. immensely, actually, mm-hmm. eternally. They have eternal mm-hmm. significance, all these tiny little details. Well it's not to say that God, is a micromanager who's asking us to do very, very tiny little particular things all the time. So we're free, made in his image, but we, he wants us to do. He wants us to say yes at all times. You know, she loves to say that God can do. We just need, she says, little bits of charity. Um, we can just do a, one tiny little moment of love, you know, or of hope. Um, if that's all we're capable of, one tiny little, one tiny little fragment. Of love, God can do the infinite with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's one of Madeline's, uh, that's really one of her key insights. I think that she repeats over and over is God can do the infinite just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true of prayer too. She says that prayer in one of the, uh, essays in this book, it's the one called, uh, our deserts. Ah. No, no, no. It's on our deserts. So <laughs> anywhere we are, God is there too. Yeah. And she says that, uh, she says that, you know, our prayer our, our retreat to the desert, which is our time of solitude with our beloved God, can be five metro stops at the end of the day. You know, translate that into our times. So, you know, it can be the you know, it can be five interstate. You know, five five freeway exits at the end of the day. Um, that tiny, that one little moment of silence. If we go into it with great longing, God can do the infinite with a little bit of prayer, and He can bring grace to the world through us. You know. Well, what a consolation it is to read that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if Dan raised his hand. If I was next to him, I would have raised his hand uh, with mine, because when you talk about the key gets stuck in the lock, um, and then, you know, next thing you know, a dish goes flying, or, or you just, something just doesn't go right. And <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I think you've done that. I don't know. Did you... How about
2: the mess <laughs> You All know, the bottles fall
1: out, you know, the hazel bottles fall out. <laughs> this turkey's undercooked. Oh my gosh, we gotta put it back in the oven. Uh yeah, or use it as absolutely. a football.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thomas, I, I know that you're familiar with Saint Francis de Sales and in in my Talks that I give to a lot of youth, especially in the Catholic school, I refer to him. And I'm just paraphrasing. As you know, uh, he has a saying that I, that I live by na- uh, nature is perfected by man, and man is perfected by the spirit. The spirit is perfected by love, and love is perfected by charity, you know, love in action. And I, I implore our young people to use their voice because their created voice, because it's here to, to you know, their finished creation here on earth, that we actually play a role in this. Yeah. And she, right? And she she is so inspiring because she takes the time to share with us her created voice and it actually inspires others to do the same, you know, to put pen on paper. Correct. Yeah. And, um, I, I have to ask you, uh, you mentioned dancing and I, I, you grabbed my interest. What's up with that? Yeah, she, uh, so sometimes she was
2: at least a teenager. She loved to, she loved to dance, um, like ballroom dancing, you know, um and that was, as I said before, that was how she met uh that was how she met this young uh, soon to be Dominican, Jean medieu is his name and uh they they spent all night kind of ballroom dancing together at this at this get together for young adults and she wasn't a believer she didn't believe in anything at the time she was an atheist, but she they both shared this great joy uh it was what she, they love music and what music is music. Music turns time. <laughs> Music, which is seemingly pointless, you know, it turns time into something—the passing of time, the empty passing of time—to something beautiful and ordered. You know, mm. and dancing—it's like you're participating in that. You know, mm. you follow it, you follow that, and you, you, you listen carefully to it, and you follow its movements, and you have to be active. You know, you have to take the steps, but you also Mm. have to be very receptive and passive. You know, you have, you can't just, you can't just make up some dance on top of it. You have to follow Mm. the rhythms. You have to follow when, you know, when the, when it goes soft, you have to kind of lighten your moves. And also, you have to, you have to be receptive to your partner. That's even more important in a way. And she saw that eventually. uh, After her conversion, she realized this is the image. She has an essay in this book called, the Dance of Obedience. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to mention that every little essay in this book is like maybe... Usually they're about a half page long. I would say two pages, three pages at the most. Most of a mm-hmm. page, a half page. And it's actually perfect for Madeline DeVerell because she loves these just this, these tiny little moments. You know, we can't... we don't have three hours to read, maybe we just have ten minutes. You know, we can do a lot. But, so she has this essay called The Dance of Obedience. And um, she... Here is the last... I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll read. I'll read a poem that immediately follows the dancing beauties. That's about the exact same thing. Here it is. Go make us live our life. Just make us. Lord, she's talking to God. Make us live our life, not as a game of chess in which everything is calculated, not as a game of sport in which everything is difficult, not as a problem that racks our brain, not as a debt to pay, but as a party as a ball, as a dance, in the arms of your grace, in the universal music of love, Lord, come and invite us. And, uh, yeah, and in the dance of obedience, she has very similar. So I'll read, I'll read you the, the first couple of stanzas here. This is dance of obedience. She's talking to God again. I think perhaps you have enough people who always talk of, talk of serving you with a captain's tone of knowing you with a professor's air, of achieving you with the rules of a sport, of loving you as an old couple loves each other. One day when you wanted a little of something else, you invented St. Francis, and you made him your juggler. It is up to us to let ourselves be invented in order to be joyful people who dance their lives with you. Mm. To be a good dancer with you as elsewhere. We don't have to know where this leads. We have to follow you to be joyful to be light on our feet, and above all, not to be rigid. We don't have to ask you for explanations about the steps it pleases you to take. We must be like an agile and lively extension of you and receive through you the transmission of the orchestra's rhythm. We should not want to advance at all costs, but accept to turn, to go sideways. We must know when to stop and glide instead of walking. And these would only be stupid steps if the music did not harmonize with them. Mm. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love the image of music uh, as as far as that. That is how God communicates with us. You know, it's something mm. beautiful mm. And to which we the way we like kind of flow over.
1: Collaborate with. Wow. Well, yeah, so beautiful. That's Come a on. great way to uh, to wrap it up. Uh, that's uh, wow. You got the intellect and able to put these words together about something that's so. Right brain in terms of the arts, uh, uh, the other aspect of the arts. We've got the writing, we've got music. It's beautiful, Thomas Jacoby. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Thank you, Thomas. Just wonderful. Tom and the indomitable Dan. I'm uh, very <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's funny. <laughs> you, uh, oh, Tom's not
2: indomitable. Hope he's indomitable too.
0: No, you know, I was
1: thinking this before the episode uh, that. Uh, I've often used uh, adjectives in front of Dan's name, but there's never been an adjective in front of my name.
0: I'd rather keep those <laughs> quiet, Tom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thomas, thanks so much. We thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It was
0: such a pleasure. And Thank, you all. All thanks, them, thanks, Thank you all. Yeah, thanks so much, Thomas. All right. Thank I you stay love. tuned, folks, for the, uh, the Angelus and Your Prayer Intentions with Peter and Jimmy
1: wqphradio.org another great conversation thanks again to ignatius press susan nutt uh, and all the others at that crew and of course uh, our home our home team wqph radio Mary Ann, harold gene james tom and the rest of the crew thanks god bless you danny
0: god bless you tommy and god bless you all on behalf of everyone here at wqph we would like to take a moment to congratulate Thomas R. Caffrey from the 13th Apostle Broadcast, he published a new book available on Amazon.com called A Boy for All Seasons But a Man. Boys Need a Hero's Journey to Reach Virtuous Manhood. You can get that on Kindle or at Amazon.com.
2: Thank you for listening to The 13th Apostle with Dan Duddy and Tom Caffrey. For more information on Dan, visit his website at www.danduddy.com or email dcduddy at gmail.com. Tom's website is faithpilgrims.com or email trcaffrey@faithpilgrims.com. at faithpilgrims.com. How about you? Will you be the 13th Apostle?